1 Samuel uh, chapter 18, uh, this chapter, uh, it, it picks up on the heels of David's defeat of Goliath. Okay, so after this um, immense victory uh, for Israel, after David boasted in the power of God, uh, and then took that boasting to action, and, and, and slew the giant, it no doubt would have sent a surge of emotion through the camps. Uh, sent a, th- uh, a surge of emotion uh, throughout the, the people of Israel that, that our God is real, uh, that he is powerful, and that we all just witnessed firsthand uh, that, that, that God can do anything and everything through the least of us. And, 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 I, and I say least of us because David at this point in time was runt kid, seventh, seventh born son, uh, shepherd, uh, despised occupation, despised in the family. We know that just even, even from the way his brothers treated him as he approached the battle line. Um, what are you doing here? I mean, even up until that moment, you know, we can kind of just get the sense of, of where David stood on the pecking line. Um, but, but then, you know, to, to, see, to see David, um, you know, be the first person in 40 days. You know, the, the Bible in, in chapter 17, it says that they, they lined up like that for 40 days. Uh, and the Philistines taunted and, and uh, called out to, to the armies of, of Israel wanting just one man to, to come forth. I mean, that happened for 40 days. David is the first one on the scene that brings God into the picture. You know, there, there's no mention of it until he shows up, and he's the first one that set, looks at Goliath and says, in, in light of who my God is, I mean, this, this, this giant is a mere ant, you know, if that. Um, and, and so this momentous moment comes to bear, and, you know, and we're introduced now um, as that moment passes, and, and the victory is with really the Lord um, and for the armies of, of Israel as that passes, uh, we're introduced to the, the beginning of, of a wonderful, wonderful relationship between Jonathan, Saul's son, and, and David. So in chapter 18, verse 1, it reads, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, when who, when David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Um, and, it, you know, as, as, we, as we journey through uh, this, this life here on earth, um, and, and as we journey through this life as Christians, uh, it, it becomes apparent, right, when, 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 you're, when your soul is knit to somebody. It might be knit to somebody for a season in a work, and it, it might be knit to somebody for, you know, till, till you breathe your last breath. You know, maybe it's a spouse, um, and, and you, you have that, that kindred spirit, that, that knitting together, and, and you're pursuing something together uh, for the Lord. And, and it, it's awesome. It's awesome when that happens. I mean, the, the, the Bible often speaks of gathering together in two or more for prayer or, 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 or gathering together and going out um, in, in groups of two or more. That, that, that bonding happens, that experience. Um, and, and I think it's, it's necessary for David to endure the, the next 10 years uh, as he runs from town to town and dodges spears and whatnot this relationship with Jonathan is going to be necessary for David to keep his wits, uh, and Jonathan's going to be used mightily, um, whether or not uh, he, he will, he'll never you know, take uh, the spot of, of David and God's plan for David, uh, but nonetheless, Jonathan is going to be uh, a wonderful resource for David. Uh, Saul took him that day, took David that day, and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Um, the significance of this is, is pretty remarkable when you stop and, and boil it all down because 
um, he took off his robe, which is really just signifies, I'm accepting you into our house. You're no longer going home to your own father's house. I'm accepting you as a member of our family now. And as he takes off his armor and his belt and his bow and his weapons, uh, he's, he's telling David through action, I have no harm, no ill thought against you, and, and I will not bring forth any harm towards you, David. Um, and I think it's a pretty amazing situation because absent of the Lord doing a work in Jonathan's heart, I mean, this, this would never happen. I mean, you step and think about what's going on right now, right here in this situation, and this is, this is like the, the, the perfect setting to any Hollywood drama, uh, thriller kind of a movie, right? I mean, you have the king's son, Right, Jonathan, the next heir to the throne. And all of a sudden, this little run kid comes in, finds favor, slew a giant. And, and if anything, you know, David should have been eyed up as a huge, huge threat to Jonathan. You know, to have this person come in, potentially, um, you know, just be a threat. You know, my, my dad likes him. He, the, the army's going to like him. And, and I'm the next king. Like, this, this guy better. I mean, you, you would imagine Jonathan would spend the next days, weeks, month plotting against David, trying to find something wrong with the guy, some way to, 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 to just undermine him or, or maybe just have him killed just because he's a threat. He's a, he's a threat to, to Jonathan. But the fact of the matter is, is that the, the Lord has did a work in Jonathan's heart. And uh, he, he doesn't seem as a threat. He welcomes him with open arms, which is a great thing because Jonathan's going to see firsthand as he watches his dad um, try to get in the way of God's um, ordained plan for David because Saul will come up short multiple, multiple times. Uh, by not doing something that that he should have learned from Jonathan and accepted him, um, so so David went out um, and wherever Saul sent him, and he behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Um, we're going to see this time and time again. I mean, I think, first of all, I think it's pretty, pretty unique for a younger kid to be accepted um, by people of war, people that are older. Um, but we'll see this time and time again through, through the scriptures that David behaved wisely. He wasn't a perfect man. You know, we have the benefit of, you know, Bible from front to back. So we know that David's full of his own issues. Um, and, and he's not a perfect man, but he, he behaved wisely for this season. Um, it doesn't it, it go into much detail in terms of what that wisdom was, but what I imagine, uh, as I see David through, through these chapters, he still strikes me as he, he hasn't lost grip of who he is, where he came from. I feel like he's still very humble. He still respects the authority above him. Not God, but he still respects Saul. He has a great respect for Saul. Um, and, and so his, his wisdom comes from simply being mindful of who his God is, how powerful his God is, respecting his authority, and, and, and remaining humble. And, and I think people are generally, generally people will, will be fond of, of others that, that know how to kind of put their head down, stay in their lane, stick to the task at hand, be faithful with what the Lord has given them for that day, uh, and do so with a, with a humble and meek spirit. Um, and, and I think a lot of that wisdom is, is what's kind of bound up in, in the attitude and uh, the actions of David. And it caused a lot of people to really fall in love with David in addition to just Jonathan. He wins over um, a, a, most of, or if not all of the people. And so now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine. Uh, that the women had came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. And so the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Not the best choice of words to sing to a king. Probably not the best choice of words to sing to a king like King Saul. Uh, but they're true, aren't they? I mean, they're, they are true words. 
Um, now, the flesh that existed in Saul exists in the hearts of all of us, especially men, um, at least most men. And if not most men, definitely this man. Um, and and if, if I were honest with you, I, and I were to put myself in this situation, um, I, I could definitely see myself having a similar uh, emotional response, or at least a heart response, as Saul had here. You know, I mean, as, as you can kind of consider what's going on here and who Saul is, Saul is the king. Um, I mean, he's appointed David to certain things. To, to, so, so it's really his brilliant work that provided the opportunity for David. To, so you can kind of see how Saul is like, you know, what about me? And, and, and I think that, that that fallen nature exists in, in our heart, right? I mean, I think we can all kind of be guilty of it. And as I really sat through this, this verse of scripture, I, I realized that this is really great marriage counseling stuff right here. Because um, it, it helped, it challenged me, it challenged me to think through what are the lyrics to the song that, that you're, what are the lyrics to your song that you're singing to your loved ones? And you know, what are the lyrics to the song that I'm singing on a day-to-day basis uh, to my wife? Or, or what are the lyrics... Um, for, for you wives that, that you sing to your husbands, uh, are, are they lyrics of comparison? Comparison with maybe other men, maybe other ministries, uh, lyrics that remind us that we could be better, that there are better, that we're just okay? Or, or are the lyrics to the songs uh, ones that build you up and encourage you in, in, in the faith? And lyrics of truth can be sung a number of different ways. Uh, but whether they are sung in love and presented in a way that edifies or sung in a way that leaves us feeling bitter or, or angry, it, it depends on, on the person singing and, and whether or not they're, they're mindful of how it might be received. You know, and, and husbands, if, if, if the lyrics to the song aren't, you know, you're the most amazing and beautiful, handsome and powerful. I mean, if those aren't the lyrics that we, that we might receive from our wives on a day-to-day basis, um, what do we do? You know how do how do we how do we uh, how do we hear those lyrics and respond to those lyrics? You know, are you going to sow seeds of jealousy towards somebody else, towards maybe another man that that your 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 wife identified as being a great carpenter, and you know you can't put together a birdhouse? I mean, or, or are you going to sh- maybe sow seeds of bitterness right back towards your wife? You know, and, and harbor those seeds. Are you going to start singing songs? back to your wife and being like, well, yeah, you're dirtiest, you're, the dishes are the dirtiest, and are you going to go right back and just kind of, there's weeds in your, weed, your flower garden, and, and I mean, but how, the, the songs that we sing to one another throughout the course of our life, I mean, um, it, it, it's, 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 not, it's not to say that we should be so concerned about everything that we say because we can't always feed the flesh. Right, I mean, but 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 we can't deny the fact that the flesh exists, right? I mean, I think we we all have to be aware that there's a certain soul in every single one of us, and as much as we don't want to feed the flesh because it's never satisfied, I, I think that the fact that we must uh, be aware that we can't deny its existence. You know, First Corinthians chapter seven. If you read through that chapter, I mean, it lays out pretty pretty plainly that. You know, if, if a husband decides, if a man decides to get married, or if a if a woman decides to get married, um, they they choose a worldly thing. You know, and it's not to say that that the worldly thing is a bad thing, but you know, short on the pecking list of a priority is is your spouse, and and that spouse comes with a fallen nature, and, and so all of a sudden, of course, Jesus is always and should be the first in your life, but then you also have a spouse to take care of which is flesh and bones and, you know, a rotting sinful carcass. So, I mean, it, it, we have to be aware of, of that personality uh, and, and, and that, that fallen nature about every single one of us. So, anyway, uh, then Saul was very angry, as, as I probably would have been too. Maybe not so much, because I'd like to think I'm a little bit more spiritual than Saul was. But nonetheless, Saul was very angry, and uh, the saying displeased him. And he said... They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. How darn them. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And so Saul packed up his bags, he left town, and he gave the kingship kingdom over to David. It would be great if it just ended right there, right? And we got on to David's story, but it doesn't, right? So 
Saul doesn't, um, doesn't let go of his kingdom. And it's, instead, in verse 9, it says, So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And may there be no mistake when it says Saul eyed David, it wasn't, it wasn't eyes of battering affection for, for David. He eyed him with the intention of, um, he eyed him. He was cautious of his every, every move. Jealousy. Jealousy is, is real. And it's very real even within, and, and maybe even more so within Christian circles, within Christian ministries. Um, and it's incredibly dangerous as well. Uh, it's one heart issue that God will never tolerate for any length of time. I mean, jealousy is the very one thing that caused Satan to fall, right? I mean, we all know the story. Satan wanted to be lifted above God. He wanted to be more important to God than God. And that created the fall of, of, of Satan and uh, his followers. And throughout the New Testament, I mean, time and time again, when, when we hear those lists of things to be aware of, though, that, that, that handful or two handfuls of, of sin issues to to, to, to guard yourself against jealousy and envy are always there. They're bound up in the worst of the things that we can allow our heart to get wrapped up in. And listen, there are men and women that God has called to kill a thousand, so to speak. And there are men and women that God has called to kill tens of thousands. And that's none of our business. That's none of my business. Our business is to kill a thousand if God calls us to kill a thousand. And to kill ten thousand if God calls us to, call, to, to kill ten thousand. That's our business, is doing what the Lord has called us to do. You know, but, but God calls who he likes, and, if, um, and it won't do us any good to become jealous of someone who God has called to kill ten thousand. Because as you stew over those jealous thoughts... The only two things, uh, maybe more, but the two things that, that the Lord showed me in preparing uh, that will manifest out of those, harsh, out of those heart issues is, is this. Stewing over jealous thoughts, first of all, it'll never, it'll never turn you into a killer of 10,000, ever. God will never look at your jealous thoughts, your motives, your, your envious ways, and he knows, right? You don't even have to speak a word. He knows your heart. He'll never look at your heart, never look at you struggling with jealousy or envy and say, oh, you know what, Pastor Dave, you're right. You do deserve to be a killer of 10,000. You're absolutely right. I'm so sorry. I misjudged you. It's not fair, and, and I'm so sorry, but I mean, God's never going to honor that. He'll never honor it. He hasn't honored it for me. And, and, and throughout all of time, he'll never honor a jealous heart or an envious life by giving you over to that thing that you're being jealous about. He loves you too much. And the second thing is we failed to kill the thousand that we were called to kill. And, 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 and the saddest part about that is, and the reality is, is that um, we, we miss the opportunity uh, to experience the joy of the Lord in our lives to do what God has called us to do by, by missing the thousand, that we, the thousand that he did call us to kill. You know, Proverbs says that jealousy is rottenness to the bones. It ruins our spiritual life and our spiritual effectiveness. And the crazy thing about jealousy, especially in, 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 in light of uh, the Christian walk, right? The, when, when you really boil it down, the, the crazy thing about jealousy is if you humble yourselves for just a moment uh, and, and before God and realize the mere fact that we're being called by God Almighty, I mean, that, that's amazing, I mean, to kind of break through the moments of jealousy and just, just to think for a second, you know, to know that the creator of heaven and earth has called us. He's called us by name and appointed us to something to do for his kingdom. You know, as, as, as we consider this and as we come to realize that none of us are worthy 
to be called to do anything for him, but he calls us nonetheless. You know, and, and that's the amazing privilege that we need to, to, to come to grips with is, you know, not to compare um, and, and, and just to be, just to stay mindful of that amazing opportunity that God has called us. The God, the Alpha and the Omega, he knows us, knows the hairs on our head. You know, that, that, that he loves us, he has a special plan for our lives. And as we consider this, you know, we, we can step out and serve and serve with unity if we're not con- concerned about who's getting the credit or who has the bigger followers, you know, the bigger audience. You know, it's, it's been once said that it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. You don't have to turn there, but I'll, I'll read you guys a passage from, from Philippians that, that kind of rang with me as, as, as I prepared. It says, Philippians 2, it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love being uh, have, having the same love being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You know, I, I, I think through, you know, all, a lot of these New Testament, you know, letters uh, that, that Paul had penned, um, and, and I, I think through all the different issues that Paul had to address in the letters. He had to address letters to First Corinthian church because, you know, they were a little bit more fleshly than some of the other church. He addressed, you know, the, the uh, church in Ephesus, right? They, I, the, the, their, their concern or their issue at that time was, you know, they're getting caught up in this movement of Gnosko or, 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 or Gnosticism. This, this, there's a supreme understanding, uh, you know, guard yourselves against that. I mean, as, as, as he penned all these letters, he's, he, he, he addresses the church, brethren, you know, I, I, I can't wait for the next time I see you. I can't wait for the next time I come and, 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 and I'm able to be there with you physically. Um, and he addresses a lot of the issues that he might be seeing and or hearing, but he addresses all these different facets uh, still as the church of God, right? And, and, and I think about today. I think about where we are from a standpoint of our country, I don't know. I I can't I can't fathom what is what else needs to happen before Jesus comes back for us. I can't. I mean, a matter of months ago, I mean, it it, it was you know a whole huge movement in terms of gender you know gender indifference, right? I mean, male female. You can be whoever you want, and everybody needs to be accepted. And 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 you sit back in that, and you you just see. Uh, the fabric of 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 maybe the the morality of our culture kind of like dwindling. You're like, man, this is bad. Jesus, come back, you know. And, and and then there's you know pandemics, you know pandemics that we've never we've never had in in our lives. We're all different ages here, but we can collectively all agree that we've never lived through anything like this before. You know, on the heels of this gender is, gender issues and, and having that be, you know, constantly, you know, the, the, the headlines of, of so many media things uh, to, to, to the, the sexual scandals of, of Hollywood. Um, you know, now we have these, the, this coronavirus, which was amazingly crippling, uh, you know, thing that, you know, got us, you know, locked up in our houses. And, and, and then on the heels of that, there's so much political uprest. So much racism, and, and, and if it's it, or racial tension, right, uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and, and, and you just you sit back and, and you think through all of that, you think through all the things that we're dealing with on top of you know, major national disasters, or national, uh, not national, but um, you know, her, something just hit, oh, what was that, Ohio, a hurricane or something? No? 
Yeah? You guys, right? Yeah, all right. Natural disasters, that's the word I was looking for. You know, major natural, natural disasters that, that aren't even, you know, hitting uh, the, the news because the news is so filled up on, on the political uprust of, of, of President Trump and, and, and Biden and that running. But, but you sit back and, and you think through all that. And it just, as I was preparing for that, preparing for this, it just, as, as I reflected on these verses, I reflected on Paul's letters, I think more now than ever, I, I, I think we need to put aside as, as, as a church body any jealous or, or envious thoughts towards other sects within the Bible. I mean, if, if, if there's churches that do it differently but still consider this the inerrant word of God and, the, and believe in the Trinity and believe that Jesus died for our sins, was crucified, and that if, if you... Uh, admit that you are a sinner and, and that you are a sinner in need of, of the shed blood of Jesus before a holy God to be accepted and, and, and before you can spend eternity. I mean, if, you, if we can agree on the fundamental critical aspects of the Bible, I mean, we need to consider each other allies. You know, I was, think, I was just thinking through, I mean, the, the way that Paul addressed things is, I mean, it, it was beautiful because he still calls them brethren as he addresses the letters to these different churches. You know, he, he, and we're, all churches are a work in progress, right? And um, I just, you know, I think more than ever for the church to be effective, I think we need to start to, you know, uh, you know be aligned with one another, knowing that we're in the fight together. And, and, and I, I think more than ever, I mean, I think the Lord's coming back and, and you know, I think that the church is just standing on, on, the, the very last days and, and whatever we can do together as Calvary Chapel of Rochester or together as other Christian churches within the greater Rochester area, I mean, I think it's, it's time for us to stand together to encourage one another um, and, and, and to just really put forth our best effort in these last days uh, to share the love uh, of Jesus and, and send the message that uh, people need a, a Savior. All right, off my soapbox, but um, where was I? And uh, so then, yep, Saul was very angry. He eyed David, and it happened. It happened on the next day. Uh, back to First uh, Samuel 18, verse 10. It happened on the next day that the distressing spirit of God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. Never trust a bitter or jealous person if they have a spear in their hand. I think that's just good, good knowledge, right? Great, good, good, wise things. I mean, I was, um, but you know what might be a little bit more applicable for us in where are we in the 20th century now? What might be a little bit more applicable to us is never put a lot of stock and trust in somebody that has uh, a jealous or an envious heart that has a telephone or has a keyboard, or has access to a, 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 you know, a mobile device and access to social platforms. Because um, I think we, we, we can tend to get caught up uh, in, in you know, who's following who, who's got the most follows or the most likes. Maybe, maybe not this group of people, but I think in general, right? I mean, never trust, never trust anybody who, who's um, voicing an opinion that net opinion comes from a place of jealousy or envious thoughts. Um, it's just, it's nothing uh, that, that can be trusted. And Saul cast the spear. See, I told you, you can't, you don't trust somebody with the spear in their hand. So Saul cast the spear, uh, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. I don't, I, sometimes David, D David surprises me why he would stand there to allow him to try twice. I mean, it's like the, the craziest game of pin the nail on David that, that's ever gone on here. But he's, he's got one spear. He tries twice, and David escapes. Um, good for him. And now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with them. Saul knew. Saul knew, and, and that, that was a terrifying thought. Uh, because uh, not only did he know that the Lord was with him, but as it says right here, but uh, the Lord had departed from Saul. So therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. 
And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he, be, that he behaved very wisely, he was uh, afraid of him all the more. And, uh, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before him. Um, not him, them. So, so essentially Saul doesn't know what to do with him. He tries to kill him. David escapes more than once. Um, so he just, he sends, uh, he sends him out to be, uh, you know, leader over his armies. Um, he says, if, if I can't kill him, I can't stand you to be in my presence. He sends him out. Um, and, and one of the things that I think uh, that, that, that came out in, in these verses uh, that, that I really appreciated for some reason, and it's, it's such a small thing, but uh, where it says in verse 16, but all of Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before him. I mean, before them. I, I just, I have this, 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 this vision in my mind that he, this, this, this kid um, that is before the king, this, this, this young man who just slew a giant, um, a brilliant soldier, um, he, he's still... In, 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 a, in a way, he's still so humble that he can go in and out before them. So I, I just envision somebody um, that, that is just so comfortable with, with being a, a common person. And I think people can generally, um, they, they, they can feel a sense of connection. You know, you, you can feel connected to somebody who doesn't want to be treated differently, uh, doesn't demand to be treated differently, um, and, 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 and I just got the sense that David went out and came in before them just as if he was one, one of the members of, of the village. He was just very easy to approach, and, and I think that the people generally uh, really, really thought well of David. And then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Um, so David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my life or, or my father's family in Israel that I should be a son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel the Metholathite, as as a wife, Maholathite as a wife. Um, so we we see we see David, or, or I'm saying sorry, we see Saul here. He's breaking promises. He's throwing spears. He he's definitely not seeking the Lord. And this goes on for ten years or more, approximately. This goes on where where Saul tries to kill him. David escapes. Saul tries to kill him. David escapes for ten years. Saul goes on this crazy manhunt. Um, and, you know, you can't help but to think enough is enough, Lord. You know, let's, let's get this Saul out of here. Let's move on with David. I mean, poor David, why subject him to this for so long? I mean, get the lunatic out of office, get David in there. And, and you know, it became apparent to me um, there's one purpose for keeping Saul around as long as the Lord did. And, and, that length of time was ordained by God because it was the amount of time under Saul that was needed to remove the Saul out of David. That many, that's the amount of time it took to have David be under Saul to remove the Saul that was in David. Um, and, and so as we go through these, and the same is true for you and I tonight here. I mean, we go through seasons and we wonder why the season's so long. You know, we might go through seasons where we feel judged and condemned. Uh, you know, we might go through seasons where we feel that the, the church has done us wrong, you know, that, that they've judged me, uh, you know, and, and you go through these seasons in life and you come out the other end realizing that your heart isn't so quick to be judgmental now towards others. You know, you, you're not so quick to be critical. You know, and, and, and the Lord did that in David's life. He does it in our life. He sends us through these seasons that are never enjoyable, but through it, he develops character. He develops a sense of, of, of more Jesusness, Jesus-likeness within our hearts that allow us to be used uh, for him, for his purposes. 
So now Michael, Saul's daughter, uh, loved David. And they told Saul, uh, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants to communicate with David secretly and say, Look, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now therefore... The last part of that verse is, is correct. All the servants did love him. But um, now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke thus words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner David spoke. And then Saul, great idea. And then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Just in case any of you guys are a little confused when Saul asked for 100 foreskins of the Philistines, what he really meant was, I want 100 dead Philistines, right? Because any, any man that's approached by another man with a sword, and that man says, may I please have your foreskin, out of the mouth of the other man is over my dead body, right? I mean, that, we, don't, we don't lightly give those things up. All right. I mean, we we don't. Yes. Here, sure, have it. I mean, so that's. The, but that's what he's right. I mean, that's that's what Saul's saying. He's saying, you know, go kill a hundred people because David's not going to get a hundred foreskins other than through death, right? Um, so 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 David went out and uh, he he took care of business. Um, he told his servants, uh, David, these words, and it pleased David. It pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Uh, so now the day had not yet expired, therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and they killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them uh, in full count to the king. Now, I, I'm an accountant. This would be like the worst day in the world to have to be an accountant or to count, you know, to give full count to the king. Yeah, 200 are there. Uh, I mean, that's not something that you're going to find a lot of joy in counting. So, uh, but nonetheless, they gave full account of the king and uh, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And then Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, as a wife. Should have gave him two wives, I guess, for, for, for double, the, double the foreskins. But, but he got Michael... Um, and at least Saul kept his word. Uh, thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, uh, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. And then the, the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Uh, but, Jonathan, uh, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and, and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. And then, then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant. I mean, lots of wisdom coming from, from Jonathan here. Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? 
So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was a war again, and there was a war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. But the, the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. So we, we can see like a real battle here with Saul. Um, from verses 6 through 7, uh, we see that, that there is uh, within Saul uh, the, the willingness to try to make wise decisions, right? I mean, Saul heeded the voice of, of Jonathan, which was uh, a wise thing to do. He invited David to come back. David stood with him as he had in times past, which... Um, which kind of gives over to this idea that when, when Jonathan said, yes, fine, you're right, or when, when uh, Saul said to his son, you're right, like, why, why should I try to kill David? He's, he's fine. Um, th there was a battle. There was a battle going on within Saul's life. Um, but apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we just see how through the passage of time and the rotting decay uh, that comes through being envious of who David was. It wasn't long before the Lord had to kind of let, let go and uh, allow that dress, distressing spirit to kind of come back because he was sowing those seeds secretly in his heart as David would come back as being vict victorious in, in battle. Uh, that, that just killed Saul inside. And, and it came to be a point in time where once again, the Lord um, gave him over to these distressing spirits. And, uh, so Saul also sent a messenger, messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And, and Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Um, they, Michael is, is the daughter of a king. They probably had a lot of carved images. I don't think that it was potentially um, some form of idol, uh, although it could potentially have been, I'm just more likely to think that it's probably a carved statue of Saul's head, probably just because Saul loved himself so much. That was probably his wedding gift uh, to, to Michael and David as an image of himself. And then Saul said, probably, uh, then Saul sent the messengers back to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And, and when the messenger did come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Uh, then Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Michael uh, lies, um, a good lie, I guess, if there is such a thing, which there isn't. Uh, but nonetheless, she, she speaks a lie and she said, he said to me, he being David, David said to me, let me go, you know, why should I kill you? That's Michael's uh, response in the heat of the moment. She, she tells Saul a, a fib, and it, it works for the time being. Uh, David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Samuel had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naoth, Naoth uh, in Ramah. And then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied, prophesied likewise. And then Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they prophesied also. 
Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great wall that is at Siku. Uh, and so he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naoth in Ramah. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah. Uh, then, uh, then the Spirit of God was upon him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in a like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Um, I, I, I think it's often been said uh, that the Lord does have a sense of humor. Um, and, and I think verses like this are, are proof that he does. Uh, in fact, have, have a sense of humor, but more than just a sense of humor, he knows his children. He knows us. He knows what we can take, what we can handle, and he knows when, when, when we need to just be completely, have that jaw-dropping experience that, God, you are in control. I mean, you take David for a second. Um, to him, he's doing only that which Saul has asked him to do. You want foreskins? I'll give you foreskins, double amount. You want me to go out and fight the Philistines? I'll do that. You know, you, you, you want to give me uh, your, your daughter and then take her away? That's fine. You want to give me your second daughter? I mean, so, so David has, and he acted wisely all along. And you got to think for a minute that David, now he's escaping his wife, you know, fleeing for his life, and he runs right to Samuel. He runs to Samuel. That tells you something. You know, it tells you that, that he just needed, um, he needed to go to somebody he could trust, an old spiritual leader, somebody to set him straight, somebody to give him some peace of mind. And I love how, how the Lord um, just says, David, relax, and, and let me show you just how much control I have. And in comes the first group of messengers from King Saul, and bam, within a moment, they, can't, they cannot not prophesy. And then the, the second group of messengers come, and boom, in a moment, they're prophesying with the prophets. And David's watching this all come down. He's watching uh, Saul's messengers come in, in three different sets, looking for information, looking for truth about where David is so Saul can have him be killed. And, and one after another, the messengers just fall victim to whatever it is that God wants them to do. And David needed that. He needed that sense of encouragement in that moment, even leading Saul to having to come and take care of business by himself. And even as Saul came to take care of business by himself, even with a snap of a fingers, with a wink of an eye, whatever you want to think that the Lord did. But, but man, within a moment of time, he changed Saul's heart, you know, gave him the spirit of the Lord, and now Saul's prophesying, stripping off his clothes, down to his pajamas, probably his white robe, and, and, and as an act of humility, not, um, you know, worthy of wearing his royal garbs for that moment. And, and, and it's moments like that where, yeah, you can say the Lord might have a sense of, of humor here because it, it is kind of humorous, right? But just knowing that God did all that just, just to let David have a glimpse, a, 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 a moment to be refreshed and renewed in his confidence that God's got it. And I end there tonight because despite what happens in 2021 with the election, despite what happens with the Black Lives Movement matter, despite what happens with the injustice that we've seen in police brutality, despite what happens with natural disasters, despite what happens with corona and virus and, and all the concerns that parents have, are we going to vaccinate? Are we going to send our kids to school? I'm dealing with a lot of that, uh, obviously, at home. You know, and, and despite all these real things that are driving fear into the center of our lives, into the center of our backbones, take a moment. Be humored, if you will. As we read through this and we finish this chapter, God has never changed. 
you know, he can do whatever he wants to. He hasn't lost any control. He hasn't lost any power. And as we sit back and we, we think through all the things that we've had to deal with just in the year of 2020, let's join in unity, at least on the, on the, on the fundamental idea that God's still in control. And we could walk out of here tonight with our heads lifted high and we can speak that message of assurance to the, to the person that we might see at Wegmans. You know, that, that, that common everyday person that doesn't have the assurance, that doesn't know uh, that there is a God that loves them and has a unique and a wonderful and marvelous plan for their lives. And you put yourself in someone's shoe that doesn't have godly perspective, doesn't have Jesus reigning in their hearts. And that, that's, that can bring a tear to your eye, you know, because we can sit back and feel refreshed and renewed right now as we read through this to know that the same God that, that could turn Saul, a wicked, crazy man, into prophesying another moment later, that, that, that same kind of control and power we, we have, we've seen it. We've seen it change our lives. The moment that we said, Jesus, I accept. I accept what, for what you did for me on that cross. The moment that we had that true conversion and that, that power, we experienced the power of God in our lives because in that moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we were changed. Hallelujah, amen, right? Let's go share that with the world. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the message. We thank you that New Testament, Old Testament, written, you know, thousands of years ago, multiple thousands of years ago. There's so much uh, in your word that, that, speaks, that speaks to us and it is still relevant uh, to what we're dealing with today in 2020, Father. Your, t your word is forever valid in my heart. And I thank you for it. Father God, uh, I do pray um, as members of Calvary Chapel of Rochester, but more tonight, Lord, I pray as members of your body, um, as redeemed members of, of your body, Father, would you purpose our days here? Give us boldness. Give us a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Father, may we take comfort uh, in, in knowing that you've got everything under control, that you still reign, Father, and as we go through these seasons, Father, may they uh, purify and refine us. We thank you so much, Lord. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.